Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to uh, 1 Samuel, the very first chapter. We're going to be looking at a woman, a godly woman by the name of Hannah, who had a deep passion for her son Samuel and for the promise that she made regarding her son to God. I want to give you a little bit of background to this story before we jump into the text, but before Samuel was born, Hannah didn't have any children, and for years she pleaded with God to give her a baby. She desperately wanted a child so much that her life was rather miserable because of it. In fact, she went through a stretch where she cried almost all the time, and she hardly ate anything. We pick the story up in verse 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we, I want you to hear how foolish her husband's question was as he asks this question. Look what he says. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? The answer is no, you do not. (laughs) You're just setting yourself up for failure, guys, if you're going to ask that question. Do I mean more to you than the children? Mm, It's got to be the right day if you're going to ask that. Neither God nor her husband were meeting the need that she had for a child, and she desperately pleaded with God to provide this child for her. In this text that we're going to be studying this morning, we're going to see several important stages that most every mom deals with in life. And at the very beginning of the story, we find the very first stage, and that is Hannah's life was empty. It wasn't literally empty. There was a lot to her life, but that's how she felt. Because she didn't have a child, she felt empty. Look at verses 10 and 11 say. It says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now at this stage, we see she is, she is praying and pleading and agonizing to God. And she's saying, I just need a child. Eli is the priest, and he's there, and he doesn't realize that Hannah is praying. He sees her praying, but he doesn't, he sees her, but he doesn't know she's praying. He sees her mouth moving, and there is no sound coming out. She's having this private uh, prayer time with the Lord, just her and God. But at that moment, Eli misinterprets it, and he thinks that she's drunk. And so he confronts her on it, and then in verse 15 and following, we pick up on her response. Listen to what she says. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have. Ask of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now at this stage, Hannah's still childless, but she has something significant. She's been given something from the priest, and that is Hannah was given hope. You know, on any given Sunday, really truthfully, any given day around here, people show up who are in desperate need of hope. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but think on a Sunday like today, a highlight Sunday where we honor moms, that there wouldn't be a handful of people here 
maybe even some moms who come in in need of some hope. Even for Mother's Day. And the reason for it is because for some, they come in here desiring to have children, desiring to have a family, yet they, nothing is in place for that to happen. They don't have a husband, and they don't even have any prospects for that. And they, haven't, they, they look at adoption and think, I couldn't do it on my own. And so they find themselves stuck, needing some hope. I'm not sure that there won't be some women here in this service who are having a difficult time coming to worship on Mother's Day every year because of an abortion that they had years ago. And you're still trying to work through it and deal with the guilt that you feel and the grief that you feel as a result of it. I just want you to know this morning that God will forgive you and he will heal you and he will do that completely if you put that in his hands. Or maybe, maybe it's a tough day for you because you identify completely with Hannah as you struggle with infertility as well. As a married couple, you've done everything. You've spent a lot of money with all kinds of different treatments and different aspects of trying to find a way to get pregnant. And you pray, yet you still don't have a child. If you find yourself in a similar circumstance, pray that God will give you that child through pregnancy. Don't quit. Don't quit praying. Or maybe he'll give it to you through adoption if you're open to that. Or maybe God will somehow make up the difference that you feel, that longing that you have in your heart. Maybe he'll do it in a way other than what you thought he would do it. Maybe it would be in a way you never imagined. Hannah wanted a baby desperately, but she wasn't able to conceive, but God answered her prayer. Motherhood is a privilege, but we also recognize that it's a partnership with God. It involves helping to shape the next generation for a lifetime of representing Jesus to the world around them. They're going to take our places in the future. Some are actually stepping into those roles even today as elementary and teenagers. Hannah dedicates her son to God, and young Samuel would become one of Israel's great prophets. He's the one who confronted King Saul, and he's the one who anointed King David to be the king over Israel. His mom had a partnership with God, and this is something that all of us need to have as well. If we're going to get the most for our kids, we need to be in partnership with God. Well, the next stage that we find Hannah in is Hannah's life is filled. Look what it says in verses 19 and 20. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife. That's what the Bible says. Did you notice that? This is a junior high boy and me going, it said that in the Bible. Elkanah made love to his... I apologize for those of you who want me to be a little more serious. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. She is thrilled, as you can imagine. 
to be pregnant. But you have to understand in the midst of this excitement, there's something that we need to point out. I think it's really easy for us to think that if I just have kids, everything's going to be okay. If I just have kids, then I'm going to be fulfilled. But can I tell you something that regardless of what you think that might play out, having a child changes a lot of things. I mean that in the sense that God has blessed you with a child, and there is a certain amount of fulfillment that comes from that. There's no question about that. But there are challenges that come with it as well. And it may lessen that sense of fulfillment that you thought would be overwhelming. There are some growing pains that you will have when raising a child. And there are going to be some struggles that you're going to have in learning how to parent. There are going to be some epic fails along the way. No one does it perfectly. I'm trying to say in all of this, if I could summarize it, you can't fill a God-shaped need or void in your life with another human relationship. It only comes through a divine relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you haven't taken that step, Mom, I want to encourage you to do that. Put Jesus at the center of your life. Your kids will benefit from it for all eternity. It will strengthen your marriage. It will help your family. Take that step. Mom, your attitude also is so important, and you know that. You set the tone for the home. You're the one who reinforces the spiritual lessons. Your home should be a training ground for your kids. It's not a show place. They can walk on the carpet. It's okay. You're the one who can create that atmosphere where they feel like they matter, where the truth is taught, a place of peace, an environment of grace and joy. Your attitude will set that tone, Mom. When Thomas Edison was a young boy, his teacher sent him home with a note that said, your child is dumb. We can't do anything for him. I don't think that would happen today, but it happened in his day. His mom, Mrs. Edison, wrote a note back to the teacher. You do not understand my boy. I will teach him myself, and she did. And the results are well known throughout history. The key point here is mom's words can motivate. If your attitude is right and you have a partnership with God, the things that you say can change your kid's eternal direction. Some of you can relate to this because the biggest cheerleader in your whole life was your mom. Even from the very beginning, before anyone else believed in you, she was saying to you, if you choose to do it, if you want to do it, if you believe you can do it, if you put your heart and mind to it, you can do whatever you choose to do. You can be a success. God will give you the power. He'll give you the strength. Just walk with him. Here is Hannah. Her son Samuel is probably now at the story, at this point in the story, six or seven. She only gets to see him once a year once she turns him over to the care of the high priest Eli. And so she's thinking about this. It's coming faster than she realizes. And she realizes this is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Now, you also have to take into consideration what's going through her mind right now. Because if you think about the picture of who Eli was, he's this crusty old man. He's overindulgent. He wasn't a good father to his own kids. In fact, they didn't turn out well at all. 
And now she, this mom, who prayed for this baby and God answered that prayer, and here he is. Now she's saying, I'm not sure this guy's going to be a good father figure for my son. And I can't imagine that there wasn't a little bit of debate in her head to say, maybe the best thing for him would be to keep him here, right? But not for Hannah. She honors this promise that she made to God. She kept it. Now, when we think about releasing our children, we don't think about it when they're six or seven, do we? I mean, we think about it when they go off, you know, leave home or go off to college or, you know, join the military or whatever. We, that's when we think about releasing our kids. But the truth is, we, re, we do release our kids a little bit at a time in different ways in life. For instance, the first time most of you probably released your kids for a little bit was when you put them in the nursery over there. You know, a crying baby or a fussing toddler can be embarrassing to a mom who's trying to settle that child, but it can also be disruptive to hundreds of people who are trying to worship and focus on God. And that's why we have this amazing, awesome children's ministry. It's staffed with loving volunteers who have this huge heart for kids. And they're over there, well-staffed. It's a clean, safe environment where your kids are going to grow. They want to make it a spiritual growth environment, even for the littlest of the little ones. And they're doing it not just for them, but they're doing it also for us to create a good environment in here. Now, here's here's the deal. If there's a need, and some of you know this, but here's the inside baseball on how all of this works. If your child is over there and has a need and and the nursery workers want you to come and check on them, it's not just normal. There's something maybe going on. Maybe they're not well or problem. So the baby's crying incessantly. They can't calm him or her, or they're just having a rough time. They will throw a number up, and it's right. It'll be right. There you go. Why don't you know, right? You, uh, you're going to see a number like that, and that, that number says, please come over and check on your child, okay? Now, that number is their SOS number. So if you see, some of you are going, man, that four zero kid, he is getting called all the time. Well, that's their SOS saying, hey, we got more kids than we were staffed for. And they staff for a lot of kids. So today, being Mother's Day, there's just a lot of kids over there. We got that in first service and we got it in second service, just so you know. And if you could pass a background check, you should go over and help, okay? So we'll just wait until that number goes away. Yes, thank you for volunteering. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm making it up. There's nobody volunteering. Okay, here's the deal. I read about this church that had, instead of doing the number system like this, they used a text message, right? They send a text message to the mom saying, hey, please come check on your kid. Here's the deal. And so the mom will go. And I was thinking about if I got a text message like that, you know. You know, they say, hey, your daughter, she's crying and she won't stop. Um, we think you should come check on her. And I write back, yeah, I know. Uh, I hate it when she does that, you know. And then uh, they write back a few minutes later and go, she's still crying. And I go, hey, I know. That's why I put her in the nursery. Hello. You know, fix it. Uh, and I think moms probably, probably think about their kids a little differently as they go, we love them all the same, right? Right. Okay. The, the truth is that the first one, you know, it's like everything is bubble wrapped and Childproofed and everything. And then the second one, not the same, quite a bit. And then the third one, it's like, oh, we have three? Wow, when did that happen, you know? So what happens, though, is you see that in how you uh, release them into the nursery. I mean, the first one, it's like three, four months, right? And you're carrying them around going, 
yeah, I don't know. There's germs in there. How do you know that? There's other kids, you know, I've seen. Oh, they look dangerous, you know. And so, but then the second one, it takes about half the time. And then the third one, I mean, you're calling to register that third one from the labor and delivery room, right? Going, hey, I'm ready. Let's drop them off. Can we drop them off on Saturday? Right. Here's the deal. Hannah knew that she had to release Samuel much sooner than most. But we all have to walk that painful process as parents. And if we don't, if we don't release our kids a little bit at a time, we're going to erode the strength of our marriage. It will, in fact, in fact affect our marriage. And not to mention, it's going to give our kid an unhealthy dependence on us. So that when the time comes for them to go off into life, they're not going to be ready. Raising your children is a process that you and I were meant to do in order to prepare them to be released. The late Irma Bombeck likened parenting to flying a kite. She said, over the years, mom and dad begin feeding out line of this kite as life goes along. A little bit here, a little bit there. At times... The child is rebellious, and it's tough to even hold on to the line of the kite. Parents, they get the hang of it over time. They're not perfect. Sometimes the kite doesn't do well. But when they finally get to the end of the string, they hold on to it for a while. And then there comes that moment where they release it, and the kite soars majestically off into the sky on its own. You and I are raising them to hopefully release them to be prepared to be the next generation of adults. So you save up your money and you get a babysitter for a date night. And you do that early on and establish it as a habit. And you're going to send your kids a message that I'm not going to spend every waking moment with you. It doesn't mean I don't love you, but I'm going to spend some time with your dad as well. So it's so healthy for your kids to see that and to know that. And it's also important for your relationship as parents. You're releasing your child a little bit of a line at a time. Or you let your child go to Bluegrass Christian Camp this summer. She's 10 years old. She goes to camp. She's excited. She gets there. It's awesome. And then Tuesday, she calls and says, Mom, I don't feel good. Can you come pick me up? And you know that just by the tone in her voice, and as a mom, you know this, she's not really sick, not with anything real serious, but she does have a bad case of what we would call homesickness. So you say to her, hey, honey, listen, you're 10 years old, and camp is awesome. I don't want you to miss out on any of it. So I want you to stay. You'll be fine. And your dad and I will be there to pick you up on Saturday unless something else better comes up, okay? Letting out a little bit more line, right? And then your 15-year-old comes, and he says to you, Mom, I want to go on the mission trip to Guatemala with the church this year. And all of a sudden, you, you catch your breath. You're like, what? Foreign country? I don't think so. So you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of staggered by it, and you say, well, how long is the trip? And he says, 10 days. And you're like, 10 days in a third-world country. But then you remember about Hannah letting her son Samuel go to the, live with the priest when he was six or seven years of age. And you think, you know what? I want you to go. I'm really proud of you. You don't tell him it's not going to be easy for you. 
but you let him know how proud you are of him going on a mission trip, his desire to do that. And then your son or your daughter turns 18. And some of you, that's right around the corner. He or she just graduated. And there's that day you drop them off at college, and that lump that you have in your throat, it's real. And you're thinking, this is tough. And it is. But in time, you're going to start to adjust to that empty nest. That seat at the table that's not there every night. They'll be home on vacation days and spring breaks and different things like that. But because you've been gradually, purposefully releasing and preparing them all along the way since their birth, it's going to be a little bit easier. Hannah starts off by being empty. And then she has is given hope. And then finally the day comes she has a child and she has this sense of being filled. And then what we find her in the stage where Hannah's life is being poured out. Now when I say poured out, I don't mean she's actually pouring all she has into her son. Hannah didn't have, uh, have a lot of time with him, so she needs to make the most of it. When the family went to town to offer a sacrifice, the annual sacrifices to the Lord, she didn't go with them. She told her husband that sometime later she would take him up there and present him to the Lord and that he would live there always from that point on. So she's saying, hey, once I take him there, I'm not bringing him back. Listen to what her husband says in verse 23. It says, do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. A, A lot of scholars think that this weaning was not merely relegated to nursing, that maybe there was more involved in it. It probably meant that he was a little bit older than when you're normally done with nursing. And rightly so, because he wouldn't have been much help to Eli in the tabernacle if he shows up at the age of two or three, right? Whether he's six or seven at the time, these early years of life lay a strong foundation for the rest of a child's life, and Hannah knew that. So she realized she didn't have a lot of time with Samuel as his mother, and so she had to be very intentional which is another key point in this message. Moms have to be intentional. Whether you have only six or seven years with your child or if you have 18 years with them, you still have to be intentional. This life is going by so fast. You agree? It is. And you will blink and before you know it, some boy is sitting across the table from you at Ted Montana Grill asking for your daughter's hand in marriage, and you're thinking of 35 reasons why no is the right answer. <laughs> Don't blink. Be intentional. Since we've been in this series talking about just saying, you know, words that we use and the power that they have, it's important to note that a godly mom has to be intentional in what she says. And I want to give you a short list. It's not exhaustive, but three really important things that every mom should be intentional about with her words. The first is, give clear direction to follow God with what you say. It's not easy to live that, but make sure you clearly communicate it. Number two, encourage them with what you say. Your words should build them up. Enough of life is going to tear them down. Make sure your words 
Your words are an encouragement to them. And then number three, love them with what you say. If everything in life falls apart for them, the one thing that should always remain constant, that is that their mom loves them. Be intentional, mom, about making sure your kids know Jesus, that they're encouraged, and that they know you love them unconditionally. You've got to be pouring into your kids, so make sure that that is crystal clear. The direction to God, encouragement, and love, they're all behind the aspect of your parenting. Well, Hannah asked God for a son, and God gave her a son. And then she, in appreciation and gratitude and fulfillment to the promise she made, she gave God her son back. That's what we're supposed to do. Truthfully, as parents, we raise our children so that we can give them back to God in service. Listen to what Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hannah knew that Samuel didn't exist for her. Samuel existed for God. And so did Hannah. That was her purpose in life, was to live for God. It's a wise mom that knows that while it's nice to be needed, for your kids to be dependent on you, the ultimate goal is for a child to one day be physically and emotionally and spiritually mature and independent of his or her mom. Now, there were two things that seemed to motivate Hannah. The first is Hannah understood that her child was a gift from God. In fact, Samuel's name means the Lord has heard my prayer. So she knew that her son was a treasure from God. Let me ask you a question. When you think about your children, do you see them as an interruption in your world, or do you see them truly as a treasure that God has entrusted to you? I hope you see them as a treasure. The other thing that motivated Hannah was Hannah, her time with her child was very limited. Hannah's time with her child was very limited. We read in verse 24 that Hannah brought her son to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And that this was some, it was kind of like a formal dedication of her son. And then look what we read in verses 25 through 28. It says, when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Moms, you may be thinking, okay, that sounds great. She gave her son to the Lord. But how do I, in the 21st century, give my kids to the Lord? What does that look like? Well, I think that there are some different ways and different steps that you, can, you could employ here. The, one of them, the first thing I would recommend is our, we have a family dedication service. We do it on, on average about twice a year, sometimes more, where parents that go through that process make a serious commitment before their church family that they want their child to be raised to know Jesus personally and then to live for him and love him. We also have programming that takes place starting over here in the nursery where our kids are taught the Bible on their level. Some of you work over there. You know what we're talking about. They do that on those kids' level as early as possible. 
Or you could go up to the rock area. This is our, our elementary discipling program. It's second to none in the city. Really, they do such a phenomenal job in those areas. And then we have our student ministry who partners with parents at, you know, some of the most challenging times in a person's life during adolescence. And they're working with parents to help disciple their kids. We've got some amazing people over in that area as well. Make it a priority. If you want to dedicate your child, you want to give them over to the Lord, put them in positions where they can grow and experience things beyond what you could give them. Make it a priority to involve your kids in these ministry areas. But the truth is, parenting goes beyond worship services and Bible studies. This has to be a 24-7 proposition for you. Parenting has to be a calling. It has to be something that you feel like, this is vitally essential part of my life. And you say, God has entrusted me with these kids. How can I pour myself out into them so that they can, in years to come, pour themselves out into the lives of others for the sake of the kingdom of God? What if parents prayed prayers like that? That God would move in such a way. What if grandparents prayed like that? You could pray for your kids, your grandkids. I will tell you that a prayer that was prayed like that had a tremendous impact on my life. I went to visit my grandmother before leaving for Bible college in the summer of 1980. And she told me that she had been praying for 20 years that God would raise up a preacher in our family. Just a few weeks earlier, I had turned 18. I realized as I'm heading off to study for ministry that God was answering one of my grandmother's prayers through me. Prayers that had been prayed before I was even born. The power of prayer is significant. Never underestimate it. God can change the trajectory of a person's life. He can change their purpose and meaning all through prayer. And Hannah's prayer, remarkably, was simple, specific, and sincere. There wasn't a lot of flowery words in it. It was just simple, specific, and sincere. And that's a good template for our prayers as well. And as we pray, remember goal of parenting is to raise our kids to be spiritually mature so that you can release them, that they're going to be productive adults in the kingdom of God. You know, the investment of a mother into her kids, truthfully, it can't be matched. Us dads think we have a fighting chance, but we come in second, a distant second, almost always. When moms are faithful to God, faithful to their husbands, and faithful to their kids, Their homes will flourish. The faithfulness of a mom can create a faithful family. She truly is the straw that stirs the drink if she's walking with the Lord. If you're a parent, I want to ask you a really important question as we button up this message. What extent are you willing to go to for your child to grow spiritually? What price are you willing to pay to ensure or to pave the way for your child to grow, to have a genuine faith? I think that's a really good question as parents to ponder. What are we willing to invest? We have to be intentional. Time is short. We blink, and before you know it, they're going to be gone. So let's make the most of this time. We've been blessed here at Northeast to have so many moms who are doing such an amazing job pouring into the next generation. 
And as I close this message, I want to take just a minute to honor all of these moms. And then I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you, if you're a mom, if you would just stand up right now and let us recognize and thank you. Will you do that? Yeah. Just stay standing, okay? Yeah. Look around the room. Those of you that are sitting, those of you that are moms, look around the room. Isn't this an amazing group of women, right? Yeah, we're glad you're on our side. We're grateful. We are very blessed as a church. And don't, don't sit down. Don't sit down. Some of you are going, hey, this is the only time I get to sit down. What are you talking about? <laughs> just indulge me just for a couple of minutes, okay? I want to pray for you. Let's do that. Father in heaven, we are so blessed in so many different ways. And today, God, we thank you for the ladies who are standing around this room. We pray that they know just how valuable they are to you and how valuable they are and important to us. Lord, I pray for the, specifically right now, for the single moms who are standing. I have no idea the challenges they face, but I know it can't be easy. I pray, God, that you will be close to them and they will realize your presence and that you're the best partner that they could ever have in order to parent their kids. Remind them, God, the words of Psalm 68 that says, you are a father to the fatherless. Thank you, God. Lord, I also pray for the working moms who are standing around here. They are spinning a lot of plates. I'm sure at times they wish they could be at home, but their situation might not allow that to happen for them to make ends meet, so they work. Lord, I pray that you will multiply the hours that they have with their kids, just as you did for Hannah, that you will do the same for them. And although their time is limited, that they will make the most out of every little opportunity that they have. Lord, I also pray for the stay-at-home moms. I pray that they are thankful for the blessing that they get to have to stay at home that they truly see it as a great blessing and an opportunity to invest in their little ones. I also know that many of those stay-at-home moms have sacrificed in order to stay at home. It means that they've had to do without some things, but being there right now, for whatever reason, is a priority to them, and we bless that, God. Lord, I pray that you will just multiply their resources And that you will give them incredible joy as they pour into their little ones. Lord, I also want to thank you for all of the moms that aren't here today. And for some of the moms who are standing here, this is the first Mother's Day that they have gone through without their mom. That's tough. I pray a special measure of your blessing and comfort for them today, Lord. They wish they could call her. She's not there. They would call her for advice. She's always the source of encouragement. Will you bless them, Lord? These moms, they give us a listening ear. They give us a comforting word. And sometimes they give us a stern glance when we need it. They're the source of reassuring hugs. And they give us those heartfelt prayers that have changed our lives. We tell you today, Lord, that we love them and that we're thankful for them. And God, we thank you for the blessing of putting them in our lives. God, thank you for each woman who's standing in this room today. 
being a, the best mom she can be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.